That's it. Let's just clap our hands to the Lord. You spent a lot of money coming here. You you drove or you've flown for hours. You're taking time off work. We might as well squeeze every single thing that we can out of this conference. I'm here to tell you that God's not done yet. God's still moving. Let's lift him up just a little bit. Let's love him. Lord, we love you. God, you are so good to us. God, we are so blessed today to be in your house and to feel what, come on, let's lift him up a little bit. Uh, oh, he's worthy today. God, uh, I love you today. God, I love you today. I want you to know that I appreciate you. Oh, blessed be that wonderful name. Hallelujah. So good to be at Summit 2007. I want to express my thanks and gratitude and honor to Brother and Sister Mayo. Amen. To their wonderful family, Ari and Zach. To Cornerstone Church. Amen. Thank you for the hospitality, the beautiful room, the basket, the hospitality room. You know how to make somebody feel very, very special. Amen. To all of our sponsors, fellow ministers, To the wonderful saints of God that are here today. We would not be having this conference if it was not for you. And then I am thrilled to have my beautiful wife here tonight. My, today my family. Not only do I have the most beautiful wife in the world and the greatest family. But I am blessed to pastor the greatest church in the world. I'm glad for those from Tacoma that's here today. God bless you. My, have we heard some preaching in this conference. And it is not false humility for me to say that I am the least among my brethren. I don't think anybody said Nathaniel Wilson who? Stone King who? Hallelujah. I'm glad to get to know the brethren here in this part of the country and Thank you, Bishop Barnett, for that tremendous, tremendous message. You make, me, you make me proud to call you my bishop. Amen, a man that will preach like that. Thank you. I want to say in front of you, and I've said it before, but this entire audience, I am submitted to you as my bishop and my elder. I appreciate you. Amen, Brother Dylan, for that tremendous message on impartation. Yes. Amen. Amen. Brother Miles Young for preaching beyond normal. And I, I like his second title, Power Trip. <laughs> Hallelujah. I didn't think he was going to outdo some other messages I had heard, but amen, he was able to do that. Bishop Wilson, amen, just got to know him this year, but what a tremendous leader of leaders and a man of God. Amen. Who else could take that? scripture and to preach like that but bishop wilson thank you for that so much hallelujah brother emory i know had to catch a plane back this morning but i always enjoy listening to sam emory yes. Amen. hallelujah brother stone king which will be preaching i know we have another preacher behind me i know that many of us will be driving and flying home today to be in our home church tomorrow so amen Brother Barnett, I told you I was praying for you before you preached, but I didn't mean to pray so hard that, amen, 
you use the same exact text that I'm going to come from. <laughs> but Ezekiel said, I heard the sounding again in the mountains. And I believe that when we near the summit, we're going to hear some echoes. When we get in mountain country, we're going to hear some things. And God's going to confirm it in the Holy Ghost. Second Timothy chapter number 4. And again, it's a tremendous honor just to be here, just to hear the preaching that we have heard. Second Timothy chapter number 4, verse number 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. In verse number 7, I want to take my text from, I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Amen. I feel so strongly in the Holy Ghost tonight to preach to you today on this subject, the spirit of war. The spirit of war. And make... No doubt about it. We are at war today. This is not a conflict. It's not an engagement. And it's not a skirmish. We are at war in the apostolic church today. Let's lift our hands one more time and love him. God, we thank you. We know that you're able to do great things. And we put our trust and our hope in you. God, this word is anointed. Now anoint me for the next few moments. Anoint every ear, every heart. God, and let your will be done in this house. Let the miraculous be done. Let faith rise up. Oh, God. Lord, God, bring it to fruition today. You know every need. You know, Lord, every circumstance and situation. Work on that which is at home, God, that awaits us when we get back there in Jesus' name. Thank you for your patience in standing so long. Please be seated. Dying... From exhaustion, he fell before a stunned audience, whispering only one word. That single word was the last word he would ever speak. The breath that uttered it was the last he would ever take. What message was so important that hills and valleys did not deter the runner that day in 490 B.C.? Why did he wear himself out on the road from Marathon to Athens? What one word was sacred enough, vital enough, and glorious enough to claim his own life. That one word was victory. The Athenians had defeated the Persian army in the battle at Marathon, a small town 26 miles from the city of Athens. Pheidippides' legendary feat inspired the modern-day Marathon, but his message inspires the soul today. He sacrificed his life to spread the word of victory. However, it was but one win. In one battle, in one war, in one age. 
since his marathon, many wars have raged and, and still there is no lasting peace. 500 years later, Jesus Christ traversed the road to Calvary and he sacrificed his life to accomplish a true and lasting victory. When he uttered his last words, it is finished. It was the ultimate triumph over the ultimate enemy and the ultimate war for all ages. The psalmist declared in Psalms 145, one generation shall praise thy works unto another and they shall declare thy mighty acts. Acts chapter 8 finds Philip running his own marathon as he joins himself to a hungry and searching Ethiopian eunuch with his finger on the word of God. And he had his finger at the place that said, who shall declare his generation? The Holy Ghost today at Summit 2007 searches your heart. And it's searching my heart for the words that Ezekiel 22 declares. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. The theme of this conference is finish line. And in order to have a finish line, you've got to have a race. This conference is not about a white race. And it's not about a black race. It's not about a Hispanic race or an Asian race. It's about saving the human race. This conference is about leaving here better prepared to run the Christian race. Oh, come on, let's lift him up. Paul, veteran soldier of numerous physical, emotional, and spiritual battles, understanding in this writing of 2 Timothy all too well that the end was near. The shadow of the executioner's axe falls across every page. Amen. As he writes this letter to Timothy in just a few short verses, we have what we call 2 Timothy. He had already written nine church epistles, one general epistle, three personal epistles, but from Nero's prison, which was nothing more than a hole in the ground with a little bit of straw strewn around and rat infested. This anointed man puts an anointed pen to parchment one more time and understanding that his days are but few. But he wants to put a message into a son in the gospel that he would never forget. He wanted to impart something that had been imparted to him. We can't help but have feelings of awe concerning Paul. Great theologian, prolific writer, man that fulfilled all facets of the five-fold ministry. He was a church planner. He was a missionary. Yeah. He was a martyr. Yeah. Paul was not a man easily discouraged nor afraid of hardship. He possessed and demonstrated the gifts of the Spirit. But what was it that made Paul different than everybody else in the New Testament I would submit to you? What was the substance? What was the secret that made him to rise head and shoulders above every other man in the New Testament? What was the thing, amen, about this man? It's a thing that the apostolic church is going to have in 2007. Not just to survive, but to thrive. It's the thing in 2007 that's going to bring revival to the Northwest. It's the thing in 2007 that's going to take us to another level 
speaking of the 12 spies that went to spy out the land, the Bible gives an account of Caleb. It says, because he had another spirit with him. And he hath followed me fully, the Lord says. And will I bring it to the land wherein he went, and his seed shall possess it. He had a different spirit about him. Some theologians go as far to say that Paul was to be that 12th disciple, that apostle, after Judas was went out and hung himself. I don't know if that's the case. All I know is that Paul had a different spirit about him. All I know is that Paul had an hunger. He had a drive. Amen. He, he had something in him that said, I am not satisfied with the norm. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I'm not satisfied unless I'm seeing revival. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says there's a time and season for everything. A time to love and a time to hate. It also says there's a time of war and a time of peace. And I declare, amen, to every man, woman, boy, and girl in this house today, this is not a time of peace. This is a time of war. Amen. The enemy has already drawn first blood. Why is it we've got to wait until our young people are backslidden and decide to start praying? Why is it we've got to wait till our marriages are in trouble to start seeking God? Why is it we need a church split before we start really seeking after the things of God? I'm here to tell you today, we are at war. We are at war. Amen. And the enemy has already drawn first blood, but he is not going to draw last blood. The last strike is going to be ours. The church is going to have the victory. The church is going to be the winner. We're serving the right God. We're on the right team. Paul was a warrior with a spiritual bloodlust mentality. From the very first time we are introduced to him, he's mixing it up with somebody. He thunders on the scene in Acts 7 as the ringleader and the instigator at Stephen's stoning. Acts 8, he's still consenting unto his death. That meant he was pleased with it. He felt gratified in it. He may have been in error. He may have been in the wrong doctrine. He might not have known who God was. But he was passionate about what he was doing. And I'm here to tell you, God can work with passion. God can work with hunger. God can work with a people that says, I've got to see something happen. Acts 9, he's still breathing out threatenings against his disciples. He desired a letter to Damascus. He was a missionary even when he was on the wrong team. He doesn't even make it out Damascus after his conversion. And he's already mixing it up with somebody else. It says straightway he preached Christ and founded the Jews at Damascus. The Jews desired to kill him and they watched the gate night and day. Seven verses later, he's disputing among the Grecians and they desired to kill him. Every male child that is born of royal blood in Great Britain, the moment that they are born, 
that very day their name is entered onto the register of one of the royal regiments in Great Britain they are born amen to be a military amen man they're born to lead in warfare they're born to lead that country in the moment they're born that name goes on the register because that family knows there's going to be a day that he's going to put on a uniform and there's going to be a day he's going to lead a, a unit in the combat there's going to be a day, amen, that he's going to be called upon to be a warrior. Our end time environment and the thrust of the spirit demands that the apostolic church discern our purpose and our calling. Our sanctuaries are not country clubs. They're a place that guerrilla warfare goes on. Our churches are not cruise ships. Amen. They are spiritual Battleships. Our pulpits are not tables of negotiation. They are places where divine plan and authority from God Himself comes forth. We are not civilians. You're not a civilian. You're a soldier in the army of the living God. A friend of mine a few months ago gave me a couple books by Stephen Pressfield. One of them was The Gates of Fire. Amen. Talking about the, amen, the battle that the Spartans fought. Hallelujah. The, the Gates of Fire. And I began reading and studying and looking at that Spartan nation, which was the greatest army, the, the, the greatest, amen, warriors, amen, in my opinion, that has ever went to battle. One thing very unique, very unique about those Spartans. When a male child was born, that mother would take that male child and she would not bathe him in water. I've heard of other nations bathing their children in milk. But they would take that Spartan and they would take that little baby and they would wash him for the first time he was ever washed in wine. Oh, they, they, if he could, amen, withstand the wine, and if he could make it through that, if he proved himself to be healthy, amen, he would have a chance to stand in the legions. He'd have a chance, amen, to stand beside his brothers, amen, his father, and they would go to war. But I'm here to tell you, when he became 18 years of age, if he was not able to stand in the battle line, he lost his citizenship, and he was cast out of that city. I'm preaching to a people today. You haven't been washed in milk, and you haven't been watered down, but you've been baptized in that holy wine you've been filled you're not like any other church you're not like any other people you're different you are unique you are peculiar you're a people that know the name of your God you've got the right doctrine you're in the right church you're in the right faith you're going in the right direction you're a spiritual Spartan today Condoleezza Rice said it well. Brother Mayo, she said that the terrorists have been at war with us for a long time. The problem is we haven't been at war with them. Our country's too worried about politics. Our country's too, too worried about what world opinion's going to be. 
Perfect example. The Iranian hostage situation going on right now with those British Marines and sailors that are being held hostage right now. Everybody's afraid of, I mean, what Iran's going to think. And we're, we're, the same thing happened back in November of 1979. And for the next 444 days, under Jimmy Carter's, I'm not getting political, I'm just telling you the truth. For 444 days, 50-some hostages, amen, were in a prison. And they were held prisoner against their will. Amen. And this country was afraid to step out and do something about it. Amen. But I'm here to tell you that the very day, within moments... Of Ronald Reagan taking office. They were released. I, I believe that Iran knew they had a man. That was just not going to play tiddlywinks. And play dominoes. But they had a man that was had some power. And he had some authority. And he wasn't afraid to use it. I'm preaching to an apostolic church today. That we've been held hostage. For too long. Oh as brother Miles Young preached. We got to know who's in charge. We got to know who's in charge. The devil's not in charge in your city. The devil's not in charge in your church. The devil's not in charge in your family. If you're living for God. And then back in Jesus' name and are filled with the Holy Ghost. God's in charge in your home. God's in charge in your situation. And God will see you through. We're at war. We're at war today. And the enemy wants to make you think he's got some power, he's got some authority, but he doesn't today. We've been boondoggled long enough. I'm here to tell you, Jesus said, all power and all authority is given unto me. He said, I walk on serpents. He said that the principalities are underneath me. I'm preaching to a church today that's got some power. You've got some authority. You're in the right place at the right time. What I did not tell you about Pheidippides that died running that 26 miles, amen, that became our modern-day marathon. He was a professional runner for that country. And a marathon was not that big of a deal because the Olympics was going on and he competed in these races. So he should not have ran his normal race and dropped over dead. The real history and the truth behind that is that Pheidippides, knowing that the Persians were coming in their ships and on the borders of that country, was sent by his generals to the Spartans, to the warriors, to the ones, amen, that could fight like just the fact that you would see that crimson, amen, on their helmet. It put fear, amen, into the enemy. He was sent, amen, 140 miles and he ran it in 36 hours. And he got there. He couldn't pick up the telephone. He couldn't send a telegraph. Amen. And you say, why didn't he take a horse? Because of the terrain and the hills. They said it's going to be faster to send this runner. He ran 140 miles in 36 hours and got to the Spartans and, and said, we need it. We're of kindred blood. We, we, are, we are alike. But the Persians are on our border. And they're fixing to come in. And when they get done with us, they're going to come up here to you. The Spartans said, we would love to help you out. But we've got a religious holiday coming and a new moon, and we can't march for eight days. Wow. 
The ones that had the power and they had the authority were caught up in tradition. And they were caught up, amen, and things that they, they were born. They were raised. They were separated from their parents at the age of seven and put in a tra training regiment for the rest of their life from the age of seven. Their mothers bred them. The, the females even had a physical regiment they had to go through so they could bring about strong boys. Amen. They were a warring nation. But the very nation that could have really made a difference, the very people that were bred and born amen, to war couldn't march because they were waiting on a new moon. I'm preaching to an apostle church. You were born into this thing to war. You were bred into this thing spiritually. Amen. To take hell. You were put in your city. Amen. To make a difference. Pastors, you were put in your church. Amen. Because God said that's the man and that's the woman I'm going to put in that city to make a difference. Oh, come on. We're not looking for tradition. We're not looking for a new moon. We're not looking for anything. Our sign has already come. Our God has already walked on the earth. He's died. He's resurrected. And he's put his power in you. Paul. Amen. had blood in his eye. He had devil's blood in his teeth. Amen. I think every apostolic ought to have devil blood in your teeth. I mean, every day, get up. What can I do for the kingdom? And what can I do against his kingdom? He wrote to Timothy and he says, I charge you. I commit unto you, Timothy, that thou mightest war a good warfare in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, he said, fight a good fight. Ephesians 6, he said, put on the whole armor of God. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers and, amen, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Against spiritual wickedness in high places. Amen. Every time you read about Paul, he's talking about going to war. He's talking about taking new, new land. He's talking about having revival everywhere that he goes. Paul told us how to have an apostolic revival. Brother Stone King last night made a terrific point. He said, everybody tells us how to do it. Or they tell us to do it, but they don't tell us how to do it. But Paul told us how to do it. Amen. He said, number one, preach the word. Amen. He said, preach the word. We don't need, amen, new, amen, fandangled, amen, lights. We don't need fog machines. Amen. What we need is a move of the Holy Ghost. What we need is a man that will stand behind this desk and declare the whole counsel of God. If you're a preacher here today and you feel like you've got to compromise your message, you're missing it today. You're called to preach the word. You're called to declare the word of God unequivocally with power and with anointing. I'm sick of hearing how the Northwest can't have revival. Washington may be the most unchurched state in the country. That tells me that the field's wide open. That tells me that I don't have to get somebody unconverted and I don't have to get somebody unsaved because there's some other religion. That tells me that the field is wide open. That tells me that there's some people that have never heard about Jesus Christ. I was born and raised in Ohio and I, I 
heard how they couldn't have revival in Ohio. And I assisted in Florida. And I used to cringe when I'd hear preachers get up behind the pulpit and say, Florida is a place that people come for vacation. They, they, they don't come to live for God here. I'm here to tell you, there isn't a place that man lives today in this country or around this world that there's not hungry people that want to hear the gospel that you know so much about, that want to hear what you have. I'm telling you, there's people that want to hear this message. Amen. I've got some good people in my church right now that are brand new saints. And the harder I preach it, they say, Pastor, we like it like that. We want to know how to get saved. We want to know what we got to get rid of. We want to know how to make it to heaven. We want to know what it's going to take. We want to know that. Preach it to me. Preach it harder. Preach it harder. Hallelujah. We've got to preach the word. We've got to stand against false doctrine. I met a couple in this conference. They told me where they were from. Amen. And I, I could tell they were burdened. And I said, what's the matter? I said, who's your pastor? They said, we don't have a pastor. The church we was going to has turned themselves over to preterism. And we no longer have a church. A, church, a city of 65,000 people doesn't have an apostolic church. I'm telling you, hey, don't get quiet on me. And then we're not preterist. We're apostolic. And then we still believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for a church. We still believe that we are the bride of Christ. Oh, hallelujah. And we're not compromising nothing in this world. The worst thing you can do in a war, amen, is take just a little bit of your armor off. Or don't follow the book. I know a little bit something about war. I was in the military for 22 years to be seated. I know a little bit something about the natural war. My, my mind right now just flashes to a young man in my unit. Amen. He was talented. He was a state champion athlete. Amen. He was what we called a fast burner. He got promoted quick. Amen. He was going up through the ranks. Our job, amen, I was to, to go over to the Middle East and to deal with the unexploded ordinance, to deal with the mines, to deal with all that. He got over there. Amen. And I, I'll never forget, I wasn't on this deployment, but I, I came back from lunch and I'm coming across the parking lot. And I hear on the loudspeaker, all flight chiefs report to operations. And when a call came like that, something was up. I made my way up there. And there was very somber faces that said, Billy Marshall, amen, just stepped on a landmine, and he might not live. Amen. The story came out later that Billy Marshall did not step on a landmine. He knew exactly what to do with every piece of ordinance that was there. But because someone else before him said, I want a souvenir, and I want a trinket. I want, I want something, amen, to take home. Amen. I, I want something I can brag about. They started taking stuff apart they shouldn't have taken apart. And Billy said that there I was, and I was in a group of six people, and we're sitting there in that group of six people. He said, and I had a Russian 81-millimeter mortar in my left leg, in my knee, holding him. He said, and I took a hammer, and I took a screwdriver that goes against everything in the book. He said, and I began chipping away those explosives so that I could have a souvenir, so that I could have something to take home. He said, and then a thought 
crossed my mind. He said, if I hadn't already chipped out part of that explosives, he said, I'd be a dead man. He said, but then a thought crossed my mind as I raised my hand one more time. Billy, what in the world are you doing? He said, but everybody else was doing it. Everyone else was getting by with it. And with one final blow of that hammer, he set the explosives off in that 81 millimeter mortar. And when he lost his left leg, he lost his left hand, and it changed him forever. I'm telling you, there's a way we've got to do things. There's a book, amen, there's a manual of instructions, amen, that's going to keep you safe, and it's going to take you home, and it's going to get you to heaven. Oh, come on, somebody. Do you still believe in the word? Amen, do you preachers still going to preach the word? Are you saints going to submit, amen, to the preacher that's trying to get you to heaven? Paul said, preach the word, Timothy. If you want to make it, if you want to win this warfare, you've got to preach the word. Then Paul said, be seated. Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say become an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor. He said, do the work of an evangelist. And that's just not a word for pastors. Amen. I, I want Elder John Logan and Sister Logan stand up. Where are you? Hallelujah. This couple assist us. This is the greatest, amen, preachers and preacher wife in the world. Amen. I'm thankful to have you on my team. Hallelujah. When I got to the church I pastored, there were, I believe, eight preachers on the platform. I wasn't out of that church. Amen. And the first four messages, you listen to me, the first four messages I preached, a preacher came up after every service and said, I can't stay. I can't support this. But here's the man that's my elder. Here's the man, amen, that I should be submitting to. From day one, he said, Brother Dunlap, whatever you need. I'm submitted to you however I can help out. That couple teaches more Bible studies than anybody else I know. That couple, amen, is out teaching Bible studies. We'll go home and have church twice on Sunday and still be in a Bible study Monday morning, amen, with a halfway house. And he's going to be reaching out to someone. Oh, come on, church. It's time to get with your pastor and do the work of an evangelist. It's time for you to get out and knock some doors. It's time for you to get out and teach some Bible studies. Be seated. I mean, we've got a couple right over here. I'm, I'm going to pick on my folks. Amen. Brother and Sister Martinez. Amen. Christian and Tiffany right there just walk with their twin boys. Amen. He's brand new in the church. Amen. Brother Logan taught him a Bible study on baptism in Jesus' name. He came. He, he just started coming to church. His wife, uh, amen, had been around the church. He just got back from Iraq. Didn't know a whole lot about the church. But he came, and Brother uh, Logan got his arms around him. He came to me and said, Pastor, I want to talk to you about baptism in Jesus' name. Brother Logan has showed me something in, in, in this book here. We took him and baptized him in Jesus' name. He got the Holy Ghost in the water. He's in every service. He's worshiping. He's praying. He's living for God. I'm here to tell you. We got to preach the word and we got to do the work of an evangelist. I don't want to hear we can't have revival. Amen. 
Andrew and Sierra Stevens are sitting back there. Amen. When we had an outreach, I believe it was in one of those big outreaches where we had over 100 visitors in our church. Andrew and Sierra walked in the door. Amen. Andrew had been around the church as a boy. She had never seen an apostolic church. But I'm here to tell you, amen, that when they felt what we feel, amen, they experienced what we experienced. Amen. They started coming to church. They're both baptized in Jesus' name. They're both filled with the Holy Ghost. They're both living for God. We're living in the right place to have revival, church. We've got the message. And it doesn't matter where you are, how big your city is, or how small your city is. Hallelujah. I, I was excited to hear about all these Jews getting the Holy Ghost and coming into Apostolic Church. Lisa Shepherd, full-blooded Jew. Amen. In our church right there. Amen. Her daughter that came into the church. Amen. That uh, Amen. She, uh, when Sherelle walked in there, I mean, you, she, she, she had on, amen, the clothes of the world. But I'm here to tell you, she's one of our most faithful young people right now. She prays. She runs the aisle. She lives for God. Amen. God is moving in the Northwest. God is moving in the Northwest. We are living in the land of revival. It's not the Bible Belt. Amen. It's not South America. Amen. We are living in the last days. And God said, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon all flesh. We want New Testament revival. We want it like Paul had it. We want it like that New Testament church had it. But when it comes to discipline, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to the, th the things of God, we're not willing to do that. As parents, we're not willing to take a stand with our children. My grandmother that came into this truth, she was a widow with 15 kids. And she raised those kids in church. One of my uncles was older, talented with music. He could play the guitar. Amen. He was very talented. He drifted off. He was playing in a nightclub. Here comes my little grandmother into that nightclub at night in front of that whole crowd and taking her adult son and led him out by the ear. She said, no son of mine is going to play in a honky-tonk. That man was my pastor. That man baptized me in Jesus' name. That man that a mama took a stand for was the first man of God in my life. That man, amen, was the one that taught me truth and that loved this apostolic message. Come on, moms and dads, if you want apostolic revival, amen, you've got to let your children know this book is right. This is the way we live. This is the way we're going. I submit to you, we've got to strike first. We've got to strike fast. We've got to strike with fervency. In this day, in this hour that we live in. Please, you pastors that, that come up, and I, I know you mean well, and amen, you, you tell me, oh, Brother Dunlap. And then I don't know who told you I'm struggling. I'm not struggling, I'm warring. I'm not losing, I'm warring. I'm having revival. Amen. We're having. We're going to baptize 100 people in Jesus' name this year. We're already on a good start. 
Amen. I, I don't want to hear about struggling. Stand beside me and war with me. But don't you feel sorry for me. This is the greatest thing that I've ever found. This apostolic church. Oh, it's the best time I've ever had. These people that I fellowship, they're my best friends. They're my family. They're the ones that I, I love with all my heart. So don't you dare feel sorry for me. Hallelujah. I, I know we've got another preacher, and I want to wind this up. I want to read an article that I discovered in the Washington Post a while back. And I know Brother Stone King's testimony of being raised from the dead, it, it gets attention, and it, it should, rightly. It's a tremendous miracle from God, and we thank God for that. But this headlines, it gripped my attention. The headlines said, for 22 years, Jawad Amir Syed was a dead man. Jawad was on the run from Saddam Hussein's police in 1981. And instead of fleeing into exile, he decided to stay at home and hide inside a false wall that he built between two rooms for as long as it would take. It took 22 years. But on April 10, 2003, the day after Hussein fell from power, Syed emerged from his hideaway to the amazement of relatives and friends. Only his mother, younger brother, and two sisters knew from the beginning what had happened to him. Everybody else thought he was dead. Sometimes so did he. Most of the times it was very, very quiet. He said, I think only death could be this quiet. He said while holding court among visitors and admirers one recent day. That, that struck me funny. He's holding court. I, I could see visitors, but admirers admiring a man that hid in a hole for 22 years. Hallelujah. I, I look up to men like Bishop Barnett and these other preachers that are scattered throughout this congregation that fight and take a stand and not hide in a hole somewhere. Syed said he went outside his homemade tomb only twice in 22 years to rebuild and repair the chamber. Syed's face is all cheekbone and beard. He lost all of his teeth while in, amen, that false wall, and he stores them in a matchbox. He said they fell out one by one, and I kept them to remember the time I spent. Look at this molar. He says this one was 1990, amen, and he thumbs through his matchbox a memories, amen, of what he used to be, amen, the apostolic church, we've, we've got to get beyond, amen, saying I remember Azusa, and I remember the brush harbors, and I remember the revival 10 years ago and 20 years ago, and the whole time, amen, we're thumbing through a matchbox and, and saying I used to have bite, I used to have strength. This is what I used to be. Let me show you. Listen, I'm not interested in what you used to be. And the world doesn't want to know what you used to be. The world wants to know what you are right now and what you've got right now. What can you offer them today? Not yesterday. They need a hope that's today, that's real, that's alive today. Not yesterday. God is a God of the living. He's the God of the right now and the God of today. Oh, come on, somebody. We're living for a God that's right Right now in this place. Secret police arrested two of his friends, the article said, and they were executed. I saw their names on a list of the executed. 
I thought up this idea. He said, I built the wall in one night. I wonder how many of us, because we've seen others get hurt, we've seen others go down, and then we decide just to build up a wall of fortification and, and just somehow uh, not thrive, but just survive, somehow just, just hang on. God never intended for the church just to hang on. The chamber, he spent almost all of his adult life. He was 49 when this article was written two years ago. And he spent most of his adult life in this chamber. It measured one yard wide by seven feet long. He fashioned a terrace living space from the dirt he excavated when digging a well. At one end, there was a toilet. Amen. At the other end, there was a place to sit. Amen. And in between, there was a platform he could stand up. He had amen, a collection of paintbrushes he would dust himself off with for 22 years. He had one light bulb hanging on the wall when there was electricity, when not, he had a kerosene lamp. In those 22 years, he almost memorized the entire Koran. When people come over now and they start to quote it, he, he, he'll, he'll stop them and say, no, that's not what it says. I'm preaching to an apostolic church. We've got the word. We've got a revelation of what that word says. But if we're going to hide ourselves in a, in a hole somewhere and we're not going to come out, I don't care how much of the Bible, how much of the truth, and how much of a revelation we have. We've got to take this book to the masses, and then we've got to preach it. Amen. We've got to take it to a lost world. We've got to take it to, amen, the people's never heard about the baptism in Jesus' name. They've never heard about the infilling of the Holy Ghost like you and I have it. I'm telling you, there are people that are hungry for this message. A few months ago, I had a man knock on my door. I'd never seen him before. He's an elder gentleman. And it's probably the middle 60s, I would guess. He said, Pastor, he said, you don't know me. He said, I'm a, I work for such and such funeral home. He said, and our company was contracted to carry out a funeral in your church. He said, and I, I stood on your back wall. And I heard a sermon that was preached at a funeral. He said, my wife is dying. My wife, amen, doesn't have much time. And she has written in her last will and testament that she wants you to come to our Nazarene church. And preach a holiness apostolic message at her funeral. I'd never heard that one before, Brother Wilson. I said, well, let's pray for her. I said, let's, you know, maybe God will heal her. And we went down, and my wife and I felt the same thing. The whole time we were praying and, and ministering to Winnie, we, we really felt like God was reaching for her husband. She died. I went to the funeral, a large Nazarene church. I mean, I preached. I was sensitive to the situation and so forth. Hallelujah. And her, he showed me her will and testament. He said, I, I want someone that will stand. Amen. There's so many people, she said, that, that don't believe this message. I want someone to stand at my funeral. I mean, it's too bad she didn't do it while she was living. So we left. And I didn't understand it. I got a call this week from Richard, her husband, the one that I felt the connection the Holy Ghost with. And said, he calls me Pastor Rocky. He says, Pastor Rocky. He said, Easter is, is coming up. 
he said, my, my church is just really not, they're, they're going to the fairgrounds for Easter and something. He said, they're not really going to have a service. He said, could I come and hear some more of that preaching? I'm here to tell you, there, there's people that are hungry, amen, for this apostolic message and the power, amen, that is in this message. We've got to, amen, we've got to somehow come outside of that, that box that's been preached about at this conference. And, amen, we've got to do it. I, I may have some of my brothers may have disagreed with what we're going to do on Easter, but I was contacted, amen, by a group of other churches and said, we're having a sunrise service. Will you come and participate in it? Amen. And we're going to participate in it. And our choir is going to sing. And I'm going to have a, have a small part in it. Now, I'm not compromising nothing. I'm not compromising my message. And a Trinitarian or no one else is getting behind my pulpit. But I'll get behind theirs every time they'll let me. They need to hear this. We've got an awesome choir. And when they sing, the Holy Ghost falls. And I'm believing that there's going to be people saved out of that. I believe there's going to be some ministers and some pastors that are going to feel something that their organizations have lost over the years. And they're going to say, Brother Dunlap, we want to get to know you a little bit more. We want to hear a little bit more about this message. Come on, this is the end time. We've got to convert not only individuals, but churches and communities and families. He said, I had a little vent hole that let air in and out from the roof and a little pipe that drained water outside. He said, I had a little peephole the size of a man's finger. And that was my window to the world. For 22 years, he looked out the peephole. The article said, I watched my brother get married in the courtyard through a peephole. I saw my nephews and my nieces and my family. Amen. The people I grew up with, I saw them through a peephole for 22 years. I'm here to tell you, we get in a box, amen, and our vision narrows, and then we lose it. He said, ultimately, a date palm grew up and blocked my vision completely. He said, I could see nothing. He said, he, after Saddam fell from power, he came out. The article described the old tattered, ragged robe that he wore. He said, I, st I still wear the same clothes. After 22 years. Amen. In a box. He said, I'm thinking about marriage. He, <laughs> he probably thought about a lot in 22 years. He said, it depends on my health. He said, I just, <laughs> I love, he said, laying outside and looking at the stars at night. But this blew me away. He said, but the box is still there. He said, and from time to time, I crawl through the trap door and I go back to my box and I spend my days and my night there. He says, it's a place I'm comfortable with. He said, I think I'll keep it. I'm preaching to some people. You've heard messages in this conference. Amen. That has put its finger on your box. Amen. And it has declared the things that you need to get rid of. Amen. You keep that box. You hang on to it. And I promise you, I promise you, there's going to come a time when you're going to feel insecure. You're going to feel lonely. You're frustrated. You're hurt. And you're going to crawl right back into that place that you spent so many frustrating nights as a captive. Let's stand to our feet.
We are at war. Yes. Musicians, please come. If there's ever been a time in the history of the church, Bishop Wilson, that we need sound leadership. Amen. We need elders that will stand up. Amen. For this, this truth. We need preachers that's going to preach this truth. Amen. And not back down one iota. Amen. We're going to preach the things that, amen, that this book talks about. We're going to preach about the, the miraculous and about healing and about the things. I'm telling you, there's some things that's already transpired in this conference that you're not even aware of. Three and a half months ago, I had I was with the young men in our church and I was bonding on dirt bikes. That's what I said right on. One split moment, I lost my concentration and I spilled that dirt bike and I lost a finger. And not that big deal. I just gotta learn to hit the return key a little different. <laughs> but my right knee went through extensive damage. Two different therapists said they've only seen an injury of this extent one time in their life. Three and a half months into a 10-month rehab. Last night, standing in this service, I was standing right over there. Brother Stone King was, was praying for people. Brother Stone King, you, you don't know this. You don't remember me. But several years ago, I, I've testified about this in, in our church. I, I didn't name the preacher. Several years ago, we was in a conference. And you wasn't preaching in the conference. Amen. We were having a high time. And we were praying together for a man in a wheelchair that was a pastor. We've been praying and pouring out our heart, this man, I believe, had fallen off of a roof and was, was paralyzed and trying to hang on and pastor that church. Well, sometime in, in that, that prayer meeting and around that altar, uh, I had been diagnosed with a chromosome deficiency. I was on several medications. Amen. Everything that you could, uh, that ends with itis, I had, I was, had or was getting I, iritis. And they, they uh, uh, have taken injections and put it in my eye and arthritis and all kinds of intestinal things. I was on medication. And during that conference, Brother Stone, can you, I, I'm not sure when it happened, but I remember you laying your hand on me. You didn't know. I don't think you knew. You prayed for me. I fell out in the spirit for, for just a minute. I got back up. I didn't feel any different. But the next day, I realized I'd been healed. You never know the impact what's going on. The reason I say that is this knee, I mean, that has given me so many problems. My church was there impatient with me when I preached in a wheelchair and I preached from crutches and I went to a cane. I got up, I set my alarm clock early, early this morning, got up to pray. And I pulled two pillows off the bed and I went over and I, Put the pillows on the ground for trying to comfort my knee. And I got down on my knee and I said, that's strange. I said, it doesn't hurt anything like it has been hurting. I got up and I went in the bathroom and I turned the light on and I, I, I wanted to see. And it, it didn't look any differently. And maybe, uh, amen, I, I'm not ready to, amen, play racquetball yet. But I'm going to tell you, 
I might be before amen this week, Sal. God touched me in this service last night. God touched my leg. I believe God's doing a healing process that's not going to take 10 months. And I was standing there and Brother Stone King was so busy. And, and the, my first instinct was Brother Stone King pray for you. Then I thought that is the silliest thing I've ever heard. Well, I believe in his prayers. I said anyone in this place amen, can pray for me. And just about that exact moment, my friend Paul Welder came. He just said God spoke to him. I was standing right here. And while I'm saying that, I, I, I need someone to pray for me. He stepped up to me and he said, Brother, let's pray for your leg. Laid his hands on me and he prayed. I I'm here to, to tell you for the man of God touched me. I told my wife this morning, I said, my knee feels so much better. I said, I, got, I, said, I had to go in the bathroom and look to see if there was even a scar from that surgery. <laughs> I mean, God's going to leave it there as a witness, I believe. But I'm here to tell you, God has already done something. I didn't know God touched me last night. That God has already set some things in motion in our lives. If we are willing to accept it by faith and say, God, I'm going to step out on what you're doing, what you've begun in the process in my life, and I'm going to claim it. God, if you did it for someone else, you'll do it for me. God, if you heal someone else, you'll heal me. God, if you'll give someone else revival, you'll give me revival. God, if you'll move in my family and save my kids, you'll do it for me. We're at war. We're at war. And we need to have the spirit of war. Let's lift our hands right now. Now let's lift our hands right now.